This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound. I'm your host, Ian Turner. On the show today, Lee Preble. He's worked with and produced some of the biggest names in New Zealand music, including Phoenix Foundation, the Black Seeds and Trinity Roots, as well as winning a New Zealand Music Award for his work on Mel Parsons' Drylands. Much of it from his purpose-built surgery studios. But for this boy from Hawke's Bay with a broadcasting background and considerable musical talent, what challenges lie in wait in the coming years? And will we ever see a solo album from Dr. Lee? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Lee Preble on Plains FM 96.9. Lee, I want to kick off with um, you as a, as a young child. Your first experience of music or the first time you heard music. I want you to tell me about that. I mean, there's, there's sort of a few little um, musical memories. I guess one is um, listening to Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, and kind of like jumping around off the couch with a tennis racket, playing guitar. Um, yeah, that, that, that's probably one of the main f- first memories, I guess, of, of, um, of really getting into music. The other thing, though, I guess, is that my father was re- really enjoyed Jean-Michel Jarre, the sort of electronic musician, and, and sometimes on a weekend after lunch, he'd kind of, lie down in the living room and crank one of those albums up and um we kind of thought it was quite hilarious that he'd lie there sort of like jiggling away to the music but also i think we kind of really loved the music as well was uh your mother musical at all my mother um she plays piano um she was a primary school teacher and she'd often play piano you know for the school songs and that sort of thing um and she taught me piano for a while but it was always a bit tricky because she'd be like okay play this I've just got to go and scrub the potatoes you play that and it was sort of you know a slightly distracted um kind of piano lesson which is totally fair enough but I think my brothers and I we're all quite musical and I think we grew up in a small town in central Hawke's Bay and when we discovered music it was kind of like this outlet into the big wide world suddenly it was like like, wow, all of this stuff is going on and it's like another world and it's so different from where we're growing up. And we all just really gravitated to it, I think. Uh, so apart from Jean-Michel Jarre, um, any other artists that you remember around the house on the records or the radio even? My older, I've got an older brother, Greg, and he um, sort of got into music first, I guess. And I remember him buying Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction and coming home with the cassette and um, he... He came home and, and sort of climbed through his bedroom window. And, and so we thought, what, what, why is he climbing through the window? What's this like thing that he's just bought? Um, and so we were totally mesmerized by it as well. And, and so, yeah, th- that album uh, was hugely influential on me as a, as a youngin. And I guess lots of music like that, you know, I kind of really got into the guitar music, um, yeah, a lot, yeah. Was there any formal musical tuition uh, for you or your siblings? I, I did guitar lessons for a year when I was, how old was I, maybe 12 or something like that. And then, it uh, must have been just before high school, and then I did guitar lessons through high school and played in bands in high school and things like that. My older brother, he played the drums, and he got sort of brass band training because that was the main way you could learn drums um, then. And then my younger brother, Ryan, I taught him guitar, and then he sort of learned guitar and um our other brother Tim, who's a twin with Ryan, uh, he um, learnt bass, and so we all kind of just 
learn instruments, I guess. Yeah. But you did your own things. It was never sort of the Preble family. Yeah, we band. always just did our own thing because I guess um, you know my older brother. He was a couple of years older than me. Uh, he just was. I was just a young kid, so you know you don't want anything to do with your younger brother. And I was the same with my younger brothers. So, uh, I mean, we'd play around a bit at home, but it wasn't until you know years later, I think, when we we'd all left home, that we actually like got together and played together, and we're like, hey, wow, this is really great. Was there a name for that family band? Just Preble Brothers. Yeah, I think we recorded a song for. Sounds like a butchers or something. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, my father was a. Um, oh, my sorry, my grandfather was a cabinet maker. There was some name I think to do with the the company he had, Preble Brothers or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How did your um, mum and dad feel about uh, all of the music going on in the house? I mean, they they totally loved it. Well, you know, they they were very encouraging about it all, and you know, we'd have band practices in our house, and my brother had his drum kit set up in his room and dad kind of made this sort of vague soundproofing kind of thing and we had a big old house and yeah they they were completely encouraging I guess they liked it that there was something that we were into and it was a reasonably healthy kind of thing and um yeah, yeah, they were very supportive. Apart from the music going on around the house, uh, there must have been a few other school subjects. Uh, what was Lee going to be when he when he grew up? Well, actually, I do remember finding this uh, thing that I'd written. It must have been when I was in primary school. Uh, it was so probably when I was about 10, and you had to write what you were going to be when you were 21. And I think I wrote something like I was going to be working at SeaWorld and California and also working at a hobby shop you know like building models or something like that also in california yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, how did that pan out not very well yeah i think probably a couple of years later that was uh, had no no uh, interest in that at all but my older brother and i um we both worked at a local radio station in high school um and so we'd do the death or dawn shift the midnight till 6 a.m shift on weekends and then in school holidays we'd do just other shifts, you know, um, during the weekends or something like that. What sort of uh, genre was that station? Uh, I mean, it was called Central FM. It was just a community station, played kind of top 40, but some classics and that sort of thing. And, you know, it was all on CDs, so you're playing CDs at night. And, you know, I remember at like 3 o'clock in the morning wanting something to eat, so putting on a long song, like maybe Stairway to Heaven or something, driving down to the gas station, buying a pie, and the gas station would be playing... um, the radio station and then suddenly you hear the CD skipping and you're like, oh no, quick, i got to get back. I, I guess I saw radio as a way of getting a job that was involved in music but wasn't being a musician because I guess quite early on I guess I didn't really see being a musician as a job. Perhaps that was just talking to guidance counsellors or, or, you know, the 90s I guess it wasn't really encouraged to become a, um, a professional musician. You've already talked about um, uh, Guns N' Roses being somewhat of a sort of a, a formative band. Any other um, musical influences uh, that sort of set Lee on the path? Uh, after the sort of guitar phase, um, I really got into Britpop. So, um, you know, the Charlatans and the Stone Roses and Blur and those sorts of bands. So, um, yeah, uh, heav- heavily into that sort of thing, which I guess was my later teenage years. Um, the Verve, that was a band that I, I, I really got into and... I really like them because they, um, I don't know, they, their guitar player was amazing, Nick McCabe, and he'd always just use lots of great reverbs and delays and get these really ethereal sounds, and I think that's had a really lasting impression on me, um, his guitar playing, because, you know, I really love that stuff as well, of just, you know, making things really atmospheric and, you know, effects drenched. We're going to get into production side of things uh, a little later on, but I just want you to tell me about your first experience um recording someone 
else? Perhaps there's a jump from the radio station. How did you find yourself sort of uh, behind the desk with another human being creating the music? I, I studied, I ended up studying radio broadcasting in Christchurch at the Christchurch Polytech. Um, and then at the end of that course, you have to do an internship. And, and by the time I'd sort of gone through the course, I'd gotten quite into the production side of things. But I was like, actually, you know what? I don't want to be making ads. I want to be recording music or something. So I, I ended up getting my internship at Marmalade Studios in Wellington. Um, and very early on, I met Barnaby Weir um, from the Black Seeds. And um, we started making radio ads together for Radioactive, which was the local BNet station. He was working there. They didn't have a studio, so we were in the same. They were in the same building as Marmalade. So, me being the young intern guy, I, I was making the ads for Radioactive. And Barnaby was like, "Hey, I'm in a band. Um, we should record a song together." And I was like, "Yeah, great." So, probably one of the first times I actually really recorded someone else um, was him probably playing a version of one of his songs or something like that. Um, and so that's really, well, th- th- that was the beginning of my relationship with him and the Black Seeds and so forth. Does that first song uh, exist somewhere on a recorded medium? Maybe. I, I don't even remember what it was. We, we ended up just doing quite a few things. Um, you know, we'd go in after hours and record a bunch of songs and um, it might have been something like All the Goodness, which has ended up being a bit of a Fly My Pretties classic. We definitely did a version of that very early on. I don't know whether those things still exist because they were recorded on a medium that no longer exists now as well. I think we probably recorded it on a Fairlight um, digital system, which those Fairlights are long gone. And, you know, um, so, yeah, probably a lot of that stuff's gone. Lost to history. Thankfully. <laughs> it's time for some music. Um, you've sort of reeled off a whole heap of um, influences from guitar-based stuff and obviously more guitar in the uh, Britpop scene. Is there a track? that you uh, want the folks out there to hear right now. Yeah, well, let, let, let's play a song by um, The Verve, um, which has got, you know, pretty epic, dreamy uh, guitar stuff. Um, this song uh, is off is off their first album. It's called Blue. Um, it's a bit, one of the more upbeat songs on the record, I guess. Um, but yeah, this is Verve Blue. <laughs> Yeah. 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Lee Preble on Plains FM 96.9. Hey, I'm Max, singer and guitarist from Merlinco. When you need some stellar photos to help sell your band or next gig, get in touch with Shannon Jessica. She's not just a great photographer, she froths local music. And that passion comes through full swing in all the work she does. This month, Shannon's offering a lovely introductory special, meaning your shoot could cost as little as 150 bucks. But these packages have got to be snatched up by the end of the month. So visit shannonjessica.com for a beautiful portfolio from your next gig. That's shannonjessica.com. This is the Gardener Sound interview with Lee Preble on Plains FM 96.9. Lee, I want to talk about concerts and, and gigs and the exciting things that young people get off to, even if they have sort of grown up in the Hawke's Bay, and I don't know how much is going on there. What was the first big gig that you uh, got along to? Um, there's two that kind of spring to mind. One was seeing the 3Ds play in Palmerston North, um, and so my friend drove us down to Palmerston North, and just as we hit Palmerston North, we hit this big pothole on the road and got two flat tyres. Uh, one of them was dead flat, so we used the spare for that. The other one just kind of was a, you know, you, you could still drive on it. So we spent a few hours driving around trying to find somewhere that could repair the tyre at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. Generally just didn't find anything, missed the gig. I ended up sleeping under an Adijar poster um, beside the car. Um, and where did the Ardija post? Well, come you know, from? It, was, it was sort of on the, you know, on the on one of the walls as a promo thing. Oh. So I ripped it off and kind of like used that as a blanket. Um, so that, I guess that was the first gig that I didn't make it to. Um, okay, but I heard it was a really good show. Um, the other kind of, I guess, big influential gig uh, was this festival called Mountain Rock, which once again was near Palmerston North. Uh, and I just got my full driver's license maybe three days before, and so um, I drove a couple of friends down there. And um, I remember um, seeing Midnight Oil play and crowd surfing for the first time to Midnight Oil. And I sort of I was well aware of Midnight Oil, but kind of never really listened to them. But then seeing them and just seeing what a phenomenal live band they were and what phenomenal musicians they were. And um, Peter Garrett, he's the singer, I think. Just what an amazing front person he was. And it totally blew me away. Yeah. Have you gone back to listen to any Midnight Oil in any great detail as a, as a grown-up person? Not, not, in, not in huge great detail. Um, I just always had a whole lot more appreciation for them, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And the political sentiment? Or is it just the music for you? Uh, I mean, I think the political sentiment is, yeah, you know, that, that definitely interests me as well. And um, I really admire um, the things he stood up for and things. And, um, and the fact that he went in to politics as well even though I don't know if that was actually very successful for him I think you know the political machine kind of uh, ground him up um, perhaps a little and um, and made things quite tricky um, as it does uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, but I also remember when we drove into that festival though, I was searching all the cars for um, booze and so forth uh, and all our parents had made us like bacon and egg pies and that sort of thing. And I remember the security guard searching opened up our boot and like looked at all this food and was like, Mummy, make you some lunch, did she? And here we were thinking we were so cool coming to this festival and that guy just brought us right back down to earth. Obviously somebody who has a social conscience, how do you go about choosing acts to work with? It's really based on, on the music um, and I guess whether I feel like I have like I gel with the music I guess I guess whether I believe in the music because I do hear a bit of music now where you kind of feel like the musicians are playing it because they think it might be successful or they think that's what someone wants to hear 
if it doesn't necessarily mean something to them, then how do I work on it and and you know and and put a whole lot of time and energy into it um, if the artist isn't sort of 100% feeling it from the heart? So that, that that's a big influence for me. Um, and I guess I yeah I just have to en- enjoy the music and the players and the people and that sort of thing. Aside from potentially turning folks down, which I'm sure you've done, have you ever gotten to a session and just gone, this is untenable, I cannot continue? I mean, generally you can find something to like in any piece of music. So, you know, even if I am kind of, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but if there's a band that I'm kind of like, actually, this is, you know, kind of hard work, I can always find something that I'm like, that guitar player is playing something really nice. And, you know, I, I, you know, you, you, can't, you, you can always find something to, um, to latch on to, I guess. Yeah. So I'm hearing that professionalism is the, <laughs> is the key here, especially when you're running your own business uh, i'm sure everything hasn't gone to plan have you had any sessions where something has just fallen apart drastically and you wish you'd done something differently there's definitely been projects where we've walked away and gone that didn't really work and you know the, the, there's a few projects i've worked on that um, have never been released probably for that very reason um, but we got them to the point where we could with the time and money that we had i guess um yeah um yeah, tricky one. Mm. Looking back um, at Little Lee, however old uh, Little Lee is, maybe in his, his teens, any advice for that for that person going out into the wide world? I, I, I mean, I guess um, I guess in my twenties, I kind of uh, worried and fretted about a lot of stuff. Um, uh, whereas you get a bit older and you go, that stuff totally doesn't matter. You know, just 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 chill out and ignore ignore it I, I i can't really think of anything specific i guess but um yeah um so pretty much you've lived a charmed life <laughs> thus far no great ups and downs excellent sounds it sounds a bit um, like i'm lying doesn't it <laughs> i don't know um it is time for some music though um at this point i do want to talk about favorite tracks and it is difficult because there's so much music out in the world um mm. whether it's something you've worked on or um maybe something that you you hold dear um, or maybe even something that you put on when you come into the studio just to perk yourself up. Mm. Uh, anything coming to mind? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a track by D'Angelo um, from his album Voodoo um, that I totally love, and I always used to use it for tuning PA's when I did PA shows. And whenever I have to work on new speakers, I'll always play this song. And um, you know, when I was touring with the Black Seeds a lot, I'd always play this song. Um, when I was tuning the PA and things and they got to the point where they'd always leave the room because they'd heard that song so many times Um, but I mean that whole album still just totally blows me away Um, uh, so this is a song uh, called Spanish Joint by D'Angelo Oh, 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 oh,
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Lee Preble on Plains FM 96.9. Uh, we just heard some D'Angelo, which is always a, a nice treat on a um, on a Friday afternoon, or whenever you happen to be listening to Garden of Sound. But Lee, I want to talk about the production process. We've already uh, covered the ground of uh, finding uh, artists or groups or individuals to, to work with that you feel like you gel with uh, their sound, or maybe you feel like you can... You can offer something um how do the songs come to you normally in what form um i mean i'll often ask for demos from a band from a band before i um work with them or even i guess when they're inquiring about recording i'll, I'll have a listen to see whether i kind of um gel with the sound but yeah then once we kind of book some time in and things like that it's always nice to get a demo of the songs that we're going to be recording so I can kind of just I just familiarize myself I guess um, but also I quite often ask for influences you know how to you know if there's any songs that they like the sound of or um, just whatever music they're listening to because it helps me get into their headspace I guess of um, you know what what their sort of musical palette is. What sort of range of artists uh, are you working with? Is it predominantly bands? Are you working with the solos? Do, do you do any um, big bands or orchestral or strings? Strings-wise, um, I'm working on the new Phoenix Foundation album at the moment, and um, there's a couple of tracks that we're using the strings from a symphony orchestra concert that they did. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole lot of strings there. I mean, generally it's bands that I'm working with, you know, solo artists here and there. Um, Is budget discussed uh, if they come to you with unrealistic ideas, perhaps, for what they are financially able to achieve? Yeah. Um, how do you sort of go about sort of working through that? Well, I'll always, um, you know, up front tell them my rate and that sort of thing and find out what they want to do and, and what they want to achieve. And I guess that's why it's good to get demos as well because you can kind of hear the song and, and I try and work out in my head, okay, how, how are we going to approach the recording of this? How long is it going to take? And so then I can try and work out whether it's going to fit in, in with their budget as well. But you never know how long it's going to take to record a piece of music. And, you know, if the band takes ages to get a take, then that obviously slows things down. Um, I did have one band once, it was a friend of mine and he was in a new band, they kind of wanted some demos and they wanted to just book one day because they didn't have much money. So I was like, well let's try and do two or three songs and they were like, yeah, okay. And then they came in on the day and they were like, oh we want to do eight songs. And I'm like, well that's crazy and they're like, let's just see how it goes. So we kind of threw these songs down and we got them down in maybe like four or five hours and then I just kind of set to work mixing. They were just kind of hanging out, having some beers on the back of the couch while I was just working my ass off. And uh, I kind of got it done, and they were like, wow, that's great, you should tell people that you can do eight songs in a day all the time. I'm like, no, 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 that was fun for you guys, but for me, that was like, you know, that was hard work. Obviously, um, I'm not going to say perfectionist, but the work that you do turn out is really good. So what was your honest opinion of what you were able to turn around for those guys? I mean, the, yeah, that, that was nothing that I was proud of or anything, mm -hmm. you know, it was essentially a demo, but... but to be fair, it was what they wanted. It was kind of like they just needed some recordings to go to a venue. Hey, this is what we sound like. And so in that sense, the rawness was probably quite apt. Yeah. When the demos do come to you, how much are you thinking I can improve or add to this? Or is that not the, the Lee way? Uh, yeah, no, always thinking about that. Um, yeah, uh, whether, you know, the song meanders on and, and, you know, needs to be edited down or um, perhaps like the singers kind of sounds like they're straining, so maybe it should be sung down a semitone or something like that. So, yeah, always try and, and think about those things. Um, 
the the other things I try and consider as well is are we going to record to a click track or um, you know are we going to record everyone live or are we just going to do drums and bass and then you know slowly add things on over the top and those things can come down to budget as well or how the band wants to approach things. And, yeah. I'm presuming that there is no right way um, to recording a band as you say individually or or together. Do you have a preference? Do you have an idea which sounds better? I mean I like recording the more that we can record together the better um you know so if it's guitars drums bass and maybe some keyboards and a vocalist or whatever it's really great if, you, if if i can record all of that at once but maybe replace the vocals and maybe redo the guitar solos or something like that you know just so that you can fine-tune those things but i mean when you start recording everything separately everyone gets a chance to really over analyze their parts and kind of you know any little mistake they're kind of hearing and noticing and they can redo it and it can really slow things down whereas if you're um, working with a whole band take if someone made one slight little mistake it's kind of like well that doesn't matter because the rest of the take was great and in the end those little mistakes they either well a lot of the time they don't matter or they become um, the favorite little parts of you know a certain listener you know that's like there's a little mistake you know you might hear I don't know, a chair falling over in the take and there'll be someone out there that's like, I love that part of that song, you know, and it's, I think especially now today when it's so easy to clean everything up and get rid of all the mistakes, it's actually quite bold to leave mistakes in. So I, I always really like doing that. Any advice that you would offer um, a young band coming into a studio, paying their hard-earned money to uh, record a couple of songs, anything you'd tell them to prepare for? Uh, I mean, just rehearse the song, you know, it's it's the real basic stuff. And, and I guess find out what the studio's got, you know, have they got some guitar amps that might sound better than your ones? Have they got a drum kit? Um, find that stuff out because if you're going to end up using their drum kit, then don't bother bringing your drum kit in and kind of, you know, adding to the stresses of packing up and, and, and lugging it down there and all that sort of thing. You know, even come down to the studio beforehand and have a look around so that you're not walking in to start recording and it's the first time you've been in the place and you're kind of like, oh, well, this is slightly overwhelming or, or whatever, you know. So, um, yeah, all those little things help. Is there a piece of real gear in the studio that you use often and love most? There's there's a lot of favourites, I guess. Um, uh, one would be, I've got this old spring reverb that's, um, it's called a British spring and it's a stereo spring reverb, so it kind of makes things sound you know more reverberant like they're in a in a hall or something and this one's really cool it's in a um piece of plastic tubing i guess um and it just sounds really great i use it all the time and it was quite cheap but where yeah. did you find that gem uh someone in Auckland was selling it it wasn't via a trade me thing or anything it was just someone who worked for a gear distribution company I think and maybe they I was con talking to them about something and they said hey I've got this thing Are you interested in it and actually I remember my older brother Greg had to go and pick it up and he said he felt really weird walking down the streets of Auckland carrying this big kind of grey tube kind of like it looked like some kind of bomb or something but yeah I'm really pleased he did what's the track that you're most proud of that's not potentially 22 minutes long <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. That, that, well, that, that tune is um, is a big favourite of mine. Um, I'll, I'll quickly um, take it back. There is a, a group called the Nudge. Mm. Is there a member of your family that's involved in that? Yeah, my brother Ryan is the main sort of um, songwriter and singer guitar player in that band. Yeah. Is there something by those guys that you'd be interested in playing? Um, yeah, well, the, the, there's a song called Dark Arts, which is um, it's off their second album, and it's the shortest song on the album. Like it's maybe around five minutes. 
one of the other songs. There's, there's the three songs on the album. The second song is maybe 11 minutes, and the third song's 22 minutes long. So it's not the most um, radio friendly of songs. Um, but what was great about that album was Ryan and uh, James, who's the keyboard player, they both helped me build my studio. Um, James is uh, trained as an architect, so he helped me design it, and then they both helped with the build, and so they were the first band to come in and record. Um, so we spend a month kind of um, tracking, but me also kind of learning the studio space, working out where the drums sound best in the room, uh, just kind of weeding out all the gremlins, I guess. You know, if something wasn't working, I could say, hey guys, just leave me for a couple of hours, I've got to rewire this or whatever. So it was a really great project to um, to kick the studio off, I guess. But but then we spent about four years working on it on and off um, because, you know, everyone just had lots of things going on. Kids were born, jobs took over, whatever. Um, but it was also a project where Ryan and I worked really closely together and we really experimented on a lot of things. So, you know, if I wanted to learn how to do tape flanging on an old tape machine, we'd spend a day doing that. Um, and so I, I was able to experiment and try things that then I could use on other projects, but because I'd already done it once, it didn't take me three hours to kind of get that sound again. So, yeah, it was a pretty special project. And the name of that track again? Dark Arts.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Lee Preble on Plains FM 96.9. Lee, I want to talk, um, you've recorded quite a few bands, you work with a few bands. What's been the the funnest or or the best or something that you've just, you know, really connected with uh, project-wise um, at the surgery? Um, I mean, the Phoenix Foundation have been one of my favourite bands to work with over the years. I guess once again because we've experimented a lot and tried lots of different things and I think they've really pushed me as an engineer. Um, you know, often they'd come up with an idea of we want it to sound like this and then I would have to try and, you know, make it sound like they were describing, you know. So we've put microphones underwater to try and make things sound underwater and we um, put a speaker in an oven and um, recorded the vocal out in the oven, you know, to kind of give it a metallic kind of sound. And so just, you know, trying lots of things and... Um, and you know they're they're great friends now, and um, yeah, we've just made a lot of a lot of fun music together. And saying that, we've also had lots of like trying times where there's been huge disagreements, and you know, no one can decide on the right thing, and everyone gets quite stubborn and that sort of thing. But um, I think you come out better for it if you can if you can work through those kind of complications. Anything on the horizon that you're excited about? Anything new or diverse? I've just finished an album with Rhea Hall, uh, which was really great. Um, it's sort of quite a rootsy um, influenced album. Um, you know, Rhea's always really political and got great things to say. And um, Lawton Cora produced this album, and um, it was just a very special record to work on. Um, all the musicians involved just kind of seemed like the right people to be playing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it was just just a very exciting project. I'm going to presume uh, that awards aren't a big thing for you, even though you have won uh, some. Um, but what can um, that kind of recognition do for an artist producer? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've won a few um, New Zealand Music Awards twoies over the years for um, production and engineering. And I, I guess when people come to the studio and they see those awards sitting there, you know, it's often like, oh, wow, okay, you're maybe pretty good at doing this or something um but i remember before i'd won any of those awards i was always like oh those awards don't matter you know like i'm just doing it for for the music and that sort of thing and then you win a couple and you go oh okay i really hope i get nominated this year okay um i I guess it's just nice to be recognized that what you're doing uh people like um my parents totally love it when i've won awards um they sort of don't mean a lot but they mean a lot anything you've worked on in 2019 that you hope goes great guns uh, next year i mean i've been working with the band lab for um three years now so we've just finished their third album um their plan was to do three albums in three years and, and we've we've done that so their new album was released uh december i think sometime um and you know that I'm, I'm really stoked with all those records um those guys are phenomenal musicians um they spend a lot of time on the records so we you know we get a lot of time to kind of craft and and try things and they're not afraid to like scrap a song and start again um or completely scrap a song and not put it on the record and um yeah uh, once again they can often challenge me as an engineer of like no no we want that to sound bigger or um you know more explosive or you know just yeah it's uh it's great to have projects like that who would you sort of place on a pedestal above all others in the production category? I love the production work of Dave Fridman. So he's worked with the Flaming Lips and Tame Impala. And um, yeah, I've always been blown away by how he can make things sound as as he does. Um, 
And, you know, he, he sort of seems to use a lot of gear that I like using as well. Like, you know, I've, I've trawled his um, website and things like that. And it's like, oh, I've got one of those, I've got one of those. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I totally love his production. And the other person that's been very influential is Nigel Godrich. I mean, he probably gets mentioned all the time, but, you know, Radiohead. And um, he did stuff with um, The Verve early on and, and Ride and um, various other sort of bands. Um, Any desire to, um, to pick up the guitar and do something of your own? Yeah, I mean, um, I've played in bands over the years, and when I started building this studio that I've got now, which was maybe six years ago, I kind of had to stop playing altogether because I was so busy trying to build the studio. And then since then, I haven't played that much. Um, I play a little bit with my kids, but um, I always planned to record a solo album by the time I was 40, but now I'm 41. It hasn't quite happened, so I've kind of shifted the goalpost to 50. So um, it's going to happen, but it's just um, a matter of finding the time um, you know, to really sit down and, and, and play and record a bit more. Time for one last song. Mm. Um, I always say one for luck. <laughs> Anything that you'd like to pull out of the, um, the Lee Rebel archive to entertain? Let's play a song um, by the Phoenix Foundation, a band that I've worked with a lot. Uh, this song is called Buffalo, off the album Buffalo. Uh, and this is just a great, fun song. Like, uh, whenever my kids are a bit grumpy, I'll often put it on and we'll dance around the room and listen to it. Um, yeah, great track. Lee, thanks so much for being on the show. Cheers.
Time for my track of the week. It's hot off the press today from The Upbeats, who are collaborating with Shapeshifter. This is Uncharted. Like I'm lost at sea Thinking about the waves Drifted beyond the reach Never seen again You might be checklist of the shifting star
Thanks so much for being here today. My guest was Lee Preble from Wellington's Surgery Studios. You can head along to gardenofsound.nz and click Lee's picture on the front page to find out more about what he's up to. You can also hear a bespoke Spotify playlist of all the songs and artists we talked about today. And that is Garden of Sound for another week. Love to have you back same time in seven days. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. Hi, Dada. Da.